Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13, lucky number 13 of this, the podcast, Shark Brain. I'm your host, Jake Newton. Thank you all for tuning in. This is a show about the creative process, the show about origin stories of people who do the work, people who get in there, people who try to go out into the wilderness without a candle, without a flashlight, without a button for the darkness, to borrow the Dickensian term from Christmas Carol, and they search and they look, groping around in the dark, like so many blind mice. I am one of those blind mice. The people on this show are just said blind mice. Wow, I got a lot of caffeine pouring through me, people. A lot of it. And you know what? I don't mind it. I don't think that a two liter of Coke Zero is too much for somebody. That might... I'm kind of foaming at the mouth. I gotta slow it down. My heart is beating in my chest. Kind of having a bit of a high here. Anyway, I want to thank all of you who keep listening to the show, who keep writing in. I want to thank Phil Cronengold, who is our guest this week. I had a great conversation with him. We're going to get into all kinds of things about security, about the great unknown about leaving the job that is comfortable for the uncomfortable because you know deep in your heart it's going to give you more fulfillment. This weird kind of pseudo-monastic life that we give ourselves as creators out in the wilderness. I really I really appreciated talking with this guy. I think for a long time Phil and I thought that we were on different ends of the camp, but sitting down for an hour, and this occurs with so many people that I bring in here, hell, it occurs with everyone that I've brought in here so far, knock on wood, we get to know each other a little bit more. That's Banjo. It's no one at the door. I was just knocking. Banjo, it was me. Dude, calm it. Some of you can hear him. His little collar jingling. He's my number one main man. Banjo Newton. Anyway, you sit down in front of somebody, and a lot of your preconceptions, a lot of your instantaneous snapshot impressions that you make of people and then therefore extrapolate out in order to kind of fulfill a life for them so that they don't become a kind of cardboard cutout in your in your head a lot of that falls away, and it's amazing how much of that can be filled up, especially if you're in some sort of negative headspace, which I typically am in a lot of ways. If you're in that negative headspace and you're meeting people, a lot of people, especially in a scene such as the Los Angeles indie singer-songwriter folk scene, and you meet a lot of people, you you kind of sort of make a lot of stories for them. And uh, a lot of these things can surprise you, and that's one of the reasons why I really love doing this show. Other than explicating a lot of my own neuroses and sharing commonly held beliefs with other people who will, I find out have a lot of the same plaguing fears and, and, and aspirations that I do, which is to say it's good to know that other people feel the same way about so many things. This interview is no exception. It really isn't. I didn't know anything about Phil, really, other than the fact that he's a multi-instrumentalist who's phenomenal and has great taste and always gets asked to do the indie things that everybody goes, oh, I want that gig. But he's really, really a wonderful, endearing character, beautiful guy. And I don't think that he liked me when he first met me. I don't think he liked me as much as... Uh, and I think uh, after this talk, I, I kind of warmed up to him. You let me know, Phil. Text me. Let me know if uh, if uh, if impressions were changed. I do I do recall several times him looking at me and just dragging a finger across his neck as if to say, you're dead, sucker. And he doesn't do that anymore. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's the caffeine talking. I really need to dial it back. Plus the aspartame. Holy hell! Too much caffeine! Help me! And Banjo, you calm down. Stop barking in the background. This is radio, damn it. We're professionals. Okay, what to tell you? Guy, really? Come on. Our listeners don't want to hear that. What to tell you? 
We've got a show coming up on the 26th of November. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. I want you guys there. It's at the Hotel Cafe. I've been writing a bunch, so you'll be hearing new songs soon. Also, I want to get out amongst the world, so please send me your recommendations and your requests of where to play. I'm starting to build tours across the U.S., hell across the world. I will say no to no one, except for maybe North Korea, because I don't think my passport covers a lot of that and uh, certain other no-fly zones. That's it's just the way I am. I have a leather jacket to prove it. I don't have the leather jacket to prove it. See, I'm vegan-friendly. Get me out here. My God, this is way too much caffeine. I really apologize for this as it's happening right now. Okay, without further ado, because I think if I talk for any longer, I'm going to probably snap my own head off. Here we have Phil Cronin Gold of All Spots to Black. You sound incredibly important. You're like Lakshmi Singh, only in the male version. Oh, good. Yeah, see? Everything she says is important. It really is. It really is. Uh, I There's, who's, you know the guy that's the uh, the bookworm reviewer, Michael Silverblatt? You ever heard him on, on uh, NPR in general? I, I, I'm sure that I have, mm. and I'm sure I was driving. If you heard him, he'd be like, this particular book with its prose just reminds me so much of a Kierkegaardian. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. You were, you were making people illiterate with your voice. <laughs> I think employing an adjective like Kierkegaardian, mm-hmm. well, being able to say it is laudable enough, but mm. I think if you're going to bring that one out... yeah. Resigning yourself to your four friends. That's true. <laughs> your four you're for your, not going to no, make any new ones that No, way. you really aren't. You really aren't. Well, dude, thank you for coming in. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm I'm honored. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil Cronengold, who uh, is, you most recently played as of like this week. Would you play with the Milk Carton Kids and anybody else? Um, well, the same night it was like, uh, I was going to say 100 people, but it's, it's too early to exaggerate. Mm-hmm. Um, they had five. It was a Milk Carton Kids review. It was their uh-huh. second one. And they invited um, five other performers hmm. to do a few songs each. And it was one of my favorite nights of music since coming to Los Angeles. Really? It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And I, I resisted the urge to type the word amazing. And uh-huh. you guys, it's going to be an amazing night of music. <laughs> really fantastic. Phenomenal. I'm, I'm, I'm hyperbole city with my tweets. So I can't really. <laughs> I'm like, like mind altering. It's like. I mean, I try not to be, uh, and, and I think it's just hurting me. I think yeah. It's just keeping me down. What do you th- why do you think the motivation is for, for not wanting to uh, go for the hyperbole or, or at least, you know, extrapolate? Um, oh, it's, ironically, I think it's, it's, it's ego. I think, I think I won't stand out that way. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be the guy that says, guys, Betamax is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to be that guy. And you know I'm what I mean? striving like, daily to be that guy. To bring it back. It's uh, the, in the lost obscure thing. I would have thought in, in many of these things, like, you know, the the HD versus Blu-ray, um, any number of other things. If you said to me, like, hey, we got two different formats and they both do pretty much the same thing. One of them, they're both high-definition discs. One of them is called HD. The other one's called Blu-ray. I'd be like... And the other one is is embraced by the porn industry. (laughs) Exactly. There it is. They're like just funneling funneling our lives for us. They really made that choice. Since 1978. And I learned that on NPR. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, the news. Thanks, the news and various other outlets. (laughs) Dude, so it was an amazing night of music. It was. Mm -hmm. And um, I was... It it was like a guilty pleasure all night long. Like the 
the kind of music that I very rarely get to play. Like, I was playing like '30s style stride piano for Gabby Moreno, and and I played accordion like half the night, and no one wants to hear accordion. This is a you know <laughs> a lost art. redheaded stepchild in any in any room. Mm. Um, no, not a, I mean not a lost art in that it's been misplaced. It's usually just you know I think in Mexico purposefully eschewed. Yeah. Like oh. Mm. You ever Why? see that Carrie Larson comic, the uh, the Far Side, where it was "Welcome to Heaven, here's your harp; welcome to hell, here's your accordion." I saw it um, for the first time on my father's refrigerator. My mm-hmm. father is a musician, a uh, singer, and an actor. He was prevented from studying anything other than the accordion until he was out of college. Until he was out of college, yeah, that's a pretty far reach. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, let's go back to that, man. You, we, where'd you grow up? All right, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew okay. up in Princeton, New Jersey. Okay, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for all the Jersey haters out there, mm-hmm. turn it, off your television. Turn off your, turn off your television and figure out where the sound is coming from. So, <laughs> so Princeton and, and any brothers or sisters? Nope, no, just me. Only child. And what did your parents do? Uh, my mother worked at the at Princeton University for thirty something years uh, oh. in the physics department. Where, as a small child, I was raised around people who did things like discovered black holes and, ah. you know, as in the existence of. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would go to visit her at work sometimes, and um, or I guess you know it'd be like my after school daycare kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, so then in the corner I wasn't driving at the time is what I mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just remember the, and I think they're still there in the, in the hallways of the building. There are all these emergency chalkboards everywhere with like signs that you could flip around that say, do not erase. In oh, case really? Just in something, case something came to him. Yeah. Oh, all right. God. I got it. Oh, wow. It's just like theorem, 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 theorem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and sometimes you'd see them in use and, you know, just like scrawled equations like. That in kind of in a communal sense, so people could come and sort of check the work and build off of it. You know? mm-hmm. Like what Newton said: "If I've learned anything, I've stood upon the shoulders of giants." And the only reason why I know that quote is because my last name is Newton, and I am that egocentric, <laughs> and I am that tall. <laughs> I am that tall, literally. <laughs> so that's nothing. What your dad was a musician and an actor. Continues to be both. Continues uh, to be both. He's in the Bay Area, and um, yes. Where, where was he working out of in print? Was he living in Princeton? Were they? No, my parents divorced uh, when I was very young, uh, and at the time we were all living together in San Francisco. And I think it was probably my idea to move to New Jersey. Yeah, I was like eighteen months old, and, and you said, "I think, I think I've had it with the hippies. We got to get back to our roots." Yeah. yeah, yeah, like the hippie thing had run its course, and I saw it. Yeah, and um, that's an incredible amount of foresight for a year and a half year old. I'm really smart. Yeah. <laughs> So in San Francisco, and what were they doing in San Francisco before you? Just being hippies or like just being near the cultural edification? I think they were not being hippies. They were a bit too metropolitan for that. Uh-huh. Um, they uh, grew up and, and met and got married in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think San Francisco was just as far away from the Bronx as my dad could get. Yeah. Um, and this is this is in the late '60s that they left there to go there and uh, mid '60s, mid '60s. So yeah, uh, yeah. They had to. They had to see. They were just having to go look see, see what was going on. Hate Nash. So, uh, yeah, right there, as a matter of fact. And I was up until like towards the end of high school, I was still visiting my dad in an apartment that was in the Upper Hate. Really? Mm-hmm. That's insane. Fun place to visit at that age. At that age, I, I went back there for a film festival about uh, two or three years ago, and. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's these marauding bands of various different moments of American history. There's like a bunch of people dressed as 1920s people with um, straw hats kind of doing the whole, you know, barbershop quartet thing. There was mm-hmm. a few like there was a, more than enough um, uh, steampunkers rolling through like all together in marauding bands. Like it was. Uh... <laughs> how does one how does one maraud, by the way, on foot? On foot, um, they kind of have like the uh, they lope, I guess. <laughs> would be more the more the the adjective that I'm thinking of. I'm a little out of shape. I should try some marauding this week. Mm-hmm. No, it's it, there's a lot of like scant looks back and forth, you know, and then moving together, deciding if there's going to be any 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 gang fights between people who haven't actually exercised aside from video games. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, in a really long time. <laughs> it's the anemic games 2013. <laughs> uh, so you, then you moved to Princeton, and then uh, and your dad was still back in in uh, San mm-hmm. Francisco. And what got you started? So I began in the, life as a bicoastal, uh, going back and forth as a as, as as a young a young lad back in the day. Again, you, my design. Uh huh. Naturally, um, you said to yourself, "I want a width and breadth of the United States. I want to see what the flyover states look like from a very very young age, being escorted by a flight attendant to my father." Or were you actually? Were yeah, no, and, and I just uh, I just remembered, you know. Flying alone. I think I, I think I flew alone for the first time at like five or six years old. Wow. And they and, do that uh, whole like you know lead you to your seat and oh yeah with mm-hmm. like piece of paper and stuff like literally safety pinned to yeah. the outside of my clothing. <laughs> I'm like, sure this is not an exaggerated memory. I'm sure no. that actually happened. I remember seeing those like like those kids wandering around like just with that like I am a package deliver me to my biological other half of my parents. Yes, and feed me with with. Yeah. playing cards and whatever else they gave me in yeah. my first class seat that I got to yeah. scooch up into before they figured out how to charge for empty seats. I love that. Yeah, uh, Ply me with three headphones. Of course, I was seven. My feet couldn't reach the ground, and I didn't care about legroom. But yeah. now, yeah, that's the worst about being... It's, it's an obscene amount of space that they say, yeah, you can fit in here. Like, no, I really can't. I'm not <laughs> cattle. I can't do this. I've got an aversion towards concentration. Mm. I, I had a... A flight to Tokyo, and I remember having to time the like uncrossing and recrossing of my legs in the other way with whenever the person in front of me woke up from their naps. Oh, that's the worst! It was just there literally wasn't room to mm. to change my leg position. Oh, and then the density of the air is changing. He's, he's tall, ladies and gentlemen. You can't see this from the radio, but he's very, very tall. Very, very tall and statuesque. Statuesque is the word that comes to mind immediately. Um, I, I, I'm just getting my expand and I contract up there just with the, diff- the different altitudes. I'm having to piss all the time, just back and forth. And I'm always the person that goes, ah, window seat will be a great idea. I could sit there and just like lay out. And I'm the person that goes, we're doing it again. And I'm farty and you're trying to like pinch the wing. And you don't want to just, like, <laughs> you don't want to, because there's like, everybody goes, oh, the noise of the engines. Yeah, but people are going to know if you blast them like right to the face. <laughs> Oh, it's, it, they'll have an idea and they'll hate you absolutely and then you kind of worry about this complete stranger that you're never going to see again in any foreseeable future you know? mm-hmm. uh, and I would worry for weeks mm-hmm. yeah. oh, with codependence that lovely delicious codependence what people like think of me is really really important which is why I chose a life as a performer mm-hmm. that's good that's good because you don't really fall under too much scrutiny except for oh. all of it why is that why is that? We'll get why back. Why did to... I make this choice? Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll come. To, we'll come to that. So, uh, why did you start in music? That's a good segue to that. Starting in music. I have no idea. No, I have no idea. It was. Um, I, I started doing it. I, I at at some point, and it's a chicken or egg thing. At some point, mm-hmm. I was given um, instruments, mm-hmm. and it was always my favorite thing to do. And mm-hmm. then at some point, I was given voice lessons. I don't know why I was given voice lessons. <laughs> 
Ow. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to seek his motivation, so I'm just using shock therapy. <laughs> so you were, um, just, you were just given, and inexplicably, you kind of just said, like, well, I guess we're doing this. I guess I'll just go. I, yeah, yeah, voice lessons. I'll do that. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I know that as a, I think I was seven when um, my mother signed me up for voice lessons first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I sure don't remember asking her. Yeah. Can I go to a, a person who will teach me how to sing? Uh-huh. Um, and shortly after that, uh, I started going to this private music school called the American Boy Choir School. Mm. A very, very intense little institution um, somewhere between Dead Poet Society and Lord of the Flies. You'll oh. find <laughs> the so this is kind of the same like oasis this, of uh, so they said like take this Vienna, we'll make it better. Kind of. Oh yeah, there was definitely at least in our heads a, yeah. uh, an imagined you know rivalry between the, the wow, two choirs. A boys' choir and and a certain amount of what sounds like intense academia along with the boys' choir thing, or was this a complete... intense in all in all ways? It was uh, it was a boarding school. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, there were when I started, I think there were forty five mm. students. I mean, you auditioned for the choir, and then Naturally. in the choir you attended the school. Mm-hmm. So it's not it wasn't an extracurricular activity. Yeah. Um, three hours out of the day was scheduled for rehearsing and, oh and lessons and things like that. Um, and you were saying it's, it's kind of a, a dystopian, like, yeah, flies kind of, a kind thing. of, kind of a quasi military environment with, um, you know, very hierarchical in terms mm. of from whom you take orders yeah. and, and, and the room head... inspections and oh, wow. things like that. Super, super intense. And, and the choir toured, three times throughout the year once for as long as a month wow which is an incredibly trying experience as an 11 year old it's an 11 year old yeah. yeah no you you i if if i lost my toothbrush as an 11 year old i'd write about it in my diary and how rough a day it was you know that would i can't imagine i mean the first time i did i actually did choir tours in college and i was you know 19 years old and traumatized you know mm-hmm. i just wanted to get back to my bed yeah it's still traumatizing yeah, it really well, is. Well, you talk to anyone, anyone who's who's been a touring musician for, you know, for years. And the most seasoned of people, you talk to them about, well, we were out for six weeks at the time. They'll all go, oh, 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 oh. That's that magic number. That's that, the line. Yeah, six weeks is the line because you don't want to, you don't have anybody come and visit you because it's it's just six weeks. But it's also your entire world can change in six weeks. Your entire I, I don't know. It's that allegory of the frog being boiled in water. You can, if you throw a frog in boiling water, he'll jump right out. But if you slowly turn up the juice, he will just boil himself to death. And yeah. it's terrible. So you're sitting out there, kind of going like about three, four weeks in. You Skype back with people, and you go like, "I don't even know you anymore. Who am I?" <laughs> and thank you, by the way, for the seed to my next anxiety attack. Oh. <laughs> Well, I'm full of them, man. I'm a, <laughs> I am I am a compendium of anxiety attacks. Believe me. Hey, did you know that if you don't cross and uncross your legs on an airplane, you have the potential of getting a blood clot and going up to your brain and you dying? Well, um, not I, fidgeting is is probably not in the realm of not a problem. You know, not dangerous a problem. outcomes for me. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think we share in a certain level of anxiety in that regard. I, I sometimes feel like I should be made an honorary Jew for that, just because my parents did the whole thing. Like, you, you might not die, but it's, <laughs> but it's highly possible. Like, all things are possible within the realm of reality. And but you know, we love you, but you might die. 
that was kind of the thing. So I'm whenever I watch a Woody Allen film, I'm going, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, welcome. Yeah, let's get to be here. Let's get to be here. But, welcome. So, Here's your pickled herring. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I already, I've already got the guilt. I just need the herring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man. My friend calls it juicy. Juicy. <laughs> so you're going back and forth. You're bi coastal kid. Now you're mm-hmm. now you're in boarding school. And uh, how long did you go to that school? Uh, five years. Five years until high school, and wow. then went to regular public high school. What included girls? Yeah. That had to be a bit of a, a turn after being in a... What's strange is that you were in such a militaristic uh, environment for singing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a weird dichotomy in that. Definitely. I mean, there weren't a ton of jocks there. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, I, I just... In, in terms of, like, dress code and and performance code and things like that, yeah. um, beyond that, I think the similarities to, you know, anything military. Mm-hmm. And so, you know the vast majority of anything else yeah um but um but yeah then went to public high school Mm. having missed all of like the early puberty years yeah with the other gender Mm -hmm. so that was weird yeah a bit of a turn a bit of a like trying to run onto the freeway using your own (laughs) volition pretty much and then half the cars have boobs and you have no idea (laughs) where they came from exactly oh this is and an awkward metaphor now. I'm imagining just those <laughs> lift cars, but with like two boobs in the front, <laughs> right between the headlights. That's what I'm picturing. Right. It's, good. Oh, good. And we, we, you go to high school with that. You know, certainly. <laughs> Did you go to high school in Princeton? I went to Princeton High School, mm-hmm. which um, had uh, a great uh, music program mm-hmm. and involved in just about everything I could be. I was in the choir and the jazz band and the orchestra. And I did a couple of, <clears throat> I did some school musicals too. Yeah. Hey, I was in Oklahoma. I understand. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, uh, I was, uh, they cast me as Ali Hackam. Um, and then, uh, I think I made him, uh, Yiddish instead of Persian because <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it would be more fun to do my, uh, my, uh, yeah. I just did, I just did a Yiddish accent instead of the entire time. So kind of to harken back to that Yiddish theater. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> so, I was god awful. So, what, what uh, musicals did you do? I did <clears throat> most notably in my early uh, stage career was uh, I was in cabaret. Ah. I played the MC. You did. I did. It's a big role. It was. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah. It was really fun. It was. Uh, first of all, it served as you know another excuse not to finish any track season that I had started. Track. Yeah, never okay. finished one. Never got past week three, I don't think. Uh-huh. But I had a lot of friends who were exercising, and I thought that seemed fun. And then mm-hmm. you'll, be, you'll be a joiner for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I played soccer for a while until I was slide-tackled in a competition game by my own teammates. And that I is thought, brutal. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't believe I wasn't, it. He was trying to help me. He was trying to help me. Like, <laughs> this is not your path. He's like, listen, diverge from this. Listen, you, don't be a shotgun. Be like a pointed laser about what you need to do. Like, this is just corporal punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I mean, sure, if that's what it took. You got to thank the guy. I mean, you could be the annoying guy on Facebook updates saying, hey, who wants to sponsor my 10K? You could still be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out. I'm just looking for some likes. That's, that's all I am. Just like, come on, guys. It's a good cause. Homeless pets. <laughs> Um, 
Yes. So didn't 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 stay with the sports world, mm. um, and and so don't like the sports world mm. ever since. Don't watch it. Don't watch any of, football. It's anything. actually not because of that at all. Mm. I just don't understand why it's interesting. I don't either. I feel like an alien in America. Every time, I almost feel betrayed whenever I find out my artistic friends, artistically minded friends. You, you sort of meet them and you make a record with them, or you go on tour with them, and then all of a sudden, someone new who doesn't have share your you know colloquial speak comes in and says like, "Hey, how about the villain name of thing?" And then they go on this tirade with all this knowledge. It's and everybody but you, and you're sitting there with your knitting needles, going, "Where do my friends go?" <laughs> Pearl two. <laughs> No, it's true, and you kind of go like, "How did what? We had a thing. We were talking about <laughs> French. We were not talking about sports we for were, days straight. For days straight. You want to? Can we talk about French New Wave again? Can we please just talk about anything other than that? Let's talk about early stacks records. No, okay. <laughs> I guess we'll talk about who just, just names and dates. And, and I went to my my wife's uh, best friend from high school actually married a football player, and so I at what like a NFL NFL like? guy, yeah. So it's and we went to their wedding and. I've never felt like a lost little kid before in my entire life. I remember just walking around the the, uh, uh, the reception and hitting everyone's belly button with my high level. <laughs> just a massive human. I'm just trying to, like, you know, the carbon footprint of this pe- these people is just insane. Just from breathing. It's just from breathing alone, yeah. You have big lungs, gentlemen. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Smash each other. Yeah, that's... Uh, Oh, man, I could go on a tirade about sports, but I'm not going to because I'm sure that somebody out here listening to Shark Brain actually likes sports. I should admit that at the end of every season of whatever sport it is, I will hang out with my friends and root along with them because oh. because it's it's fun too. Yeah. But I still don't remember who won what. Nor do I. I, I like to. I, I have enough attention for one team and incredible commercials. That's what I have. You know, I, those two things, and then of course. I, I never like hitching my wagon to anybody, and then they disappoint me, and then I feel like, well, now I'm disappointed over something I had no control over. That feels like the rest of my life. It's like being poor and playing Monopoly. You go like, oh, great, I owe you $7,000 for park plays? Good. That's wonderful. You know you know what else I owe? $300 to the Department of Water and Power. <laughs> this is so reminiscent of my life. Ugh. Rent, rentopoly. Rentopoly. <laughs> so you got, you were in... High school and you're playing in jazz bands. Did, mm-hmm. where, did you go to college at all? I did. Mm-hmm. I went for several years <laughs> to <laughs> Mason Gross School of the Arts, which is part of Rutgers University, which okay. is also in New Jersey. Yeah. And um, studied piano with uh, Kenny Barron, who's a wonderful jazz piano player. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the masters, who I think got his start in the Count Basie Orchestra wow. at some point along the way. Maybe not his start, but... That's that's on there. Um, his resume that mm-hmm. I read, I don't. Kind of, I know. Um, You're illiterate. No. <laughs> no, no. Wait, illiterate. Wait. Um, <laughs> and uh, I didn't love it there, um, but is it a means to an end? It turned out to be that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was kind of one step ahead of myself every cl- clutchy step of the way. Like mm-hmm. when I was in high school. I decided I wanted to study jazz instead of classical music because mm-hmm. it was cooler. Yeah. Not because I was listening to jazz at all or really had any idea of what it was. But you had the you, you wanted you, you liked the idea of studying jazz. Yeah. Okay. So I then started taking jazz piano lessons in high school mm-hmm. and then got to college as a jazz piano major and decided 
that I wanted to play in rock bands because that was cooler than being a jazz musician, uh-huh. um, cooler than being you know ignored essentially. Yeah, yeah. Mar- being marginalized and yeah. Yeah, I just I didn't see a life for it. I saw you know my personal options for performing jazz music was mm-hmm. you know scramble hope for a cancellation and then mm-hmm. get a gig and be ignored at a local bar yeah as background music just something nice that people can ignore yeah. Play, and that as a piano player like playing horrible versions of you know fake pianos uh-huh. which just started to sound good like f- last week yeah <laughs> they were not good in the 90s yeah kurtzweil's been in the lab all these like, 25 years trying to turn out something mm. uh there's a great um vibraphonist uh named uh steve nelson who was a piano major at rutgers mm-hmm. and and he got around the um bringing around a fender Rhodes with him thing mm-hmm. by choosing to play vibraphone instead and, really? and he just just made the choice and mm-hmm. and and is is known and and beloved as a as a i'm gonna say it again vibraphonist vibraphonist mm-hmm. yeah you don't hear that very often no it's like a penist yeah, <laughs> T is really important. It really is <laughs> to, to, to me to, to, today. So, did you were you playing with people at all, like doing doing combos and that sort of a thing? What? what yeah, I know that you switched over to to rock, or at least the desire for rock. But uh, but was there? Did you have that moment of kind of going like I'm kind of just following the idea of something instead of actually the the passion behind it? I think I just sort of kept getting lucky in terms of falling into bands. Yeah. Somehow. I mean, I, I think I was probably a lot more outgoing then than I am now. Mm-hmm. But um, I sure wasn't networking. I sure wasn't looking yeah. for opportunities. And I just happened into um, a band with a bunch of people that was sort of half parliament, half... I don't know what else. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I was I was playing organ uh-huh. in that in that band, and and in one of my most embarrassing moments that's ever been recorded. I think I think yeah, I don't think I know for a fact that you you, you can listen to a recording that I've been haunted by and hear me in my whitest of white moments. <laughs> And there have been a lot of them, you know, all yeah. of them, really. But um, uh, encourage, encouraging people to dance, uh, <laughs> if, if you can imagine I can, wait, the you, words someone might employ. In a, you, you're, you're screaming in a very, in a very, as a don't white. In a, in a, in a racially mixed band, in a racially mixed audience, and, and, and. <clears throat> it's a, it's a lot of hubris, man. Sounding, sounding squarely on one end of the spectrum uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few terrible I, I i've had my share of terrible bands through high school and college and just just aborted ideas that never really deserved to live but you know what you have to it's it's the failures that define you or so they say at least on the back of hallmark cards i guess so uh-huh. and then somewhere in there i decided i wanted to speaking of failures um i decided i wanted my own band and i don't know why because mm-hmm. i w- wasn't really into the spotlight yeah um i think i just kind of wanted to prove something musically and i didn't really know what that was but it had something to do with like prog rock and uh-huh. black crows is a morica record and uh okay and and wanting to do it without any guitars and mm-hmm. it was misguided i mean to say the least mm-hmm. 
and and I made a band and and several of my good friends um I was playing piano and singing mm-hmm. and there was a bassist and a drummer um it was it was really bad <laughs> it really was and 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 I I I and I say that with all humility mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm being unnecessarily self-deprecating uh-huh. i trust my yeah your my, my good friends to listen to this music and go you've come a long way <laughs> since since then oh that that uh yeah that soft lob of a, like i know you, you know hey what you're doing now like look how look at you that yeah yeah, yeah. it was uh, yeah i don't i'm grateful to whatever strange force within myself yeah. it is that decided to continue it's it's a strange thing especially when you you look back upon yourself and you, you try to pick apart like, okay, what was the thought process for that? What, what were the motivations to try to psychoanalyze, you know, like how, not necessarily like to figure out what happened then, but how you can not do that again is, is in trying to figure that out. And I, I've listen, I tried to, I tried to sing melodically over heavy metal at one point uh, with my friends who were all in a metal band. And they said, listen, our singer can't really sing anymore. Well, because he's, you know, creating future, you know, tears on his vocal cords that will turn into <laughs> cancerous notes. <laughs> but, hey, what if you could sing over it? And it's just, there's a couple of demos out there that just are an atrocity. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're meant to only be heard by people like Helen Keller. I mean, that's, that's it. And that's... I, my very good friends at home had a, had a garage band, and I ruined it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were perfectly great, mm-hmm. like, you know dumb rock trio mm-hmm. making parody songs about all their friends mm-hmm. and somewhere along the line they uh in- invited me to start playing with them and and you said let's get serious i mean i don't think i said it but mm-hmm. i i sure brought that with me and mm-hmm. then i was like i'll sing mm-hmm. again really bad <laughs> really bad <laughs> i think i figured honestly i think i figured out how to do it um five years ago yeah that recently mm-hmm. and what was the shift and even then? then the line is fuzzy maybe yeah. four mm-hmm. years ago what was the what was the defining or was there a defining moment for that again an accident mm-hmm. i got to los angeles mm-hmm. um with nothing to do mm-hmm. and very little rent to pay i was crashing on uh on my friend's couch for a long time and then renting a small room in his very large apartment yeah and which enabled me to relax while i figured out where i was going to fit in Mm -hmm. and i started writing songs out of boredom it wasn't i didn't know just sheer wide swaths of time with nothing to fill yeah yeah it was just fun Mm -hmm. and and then somewhere in there i started performing and somewhere in there i realized how much i hated performing (laughs) (laughs) and realized that i was doing things to myself physically on stage that were ironic at best like yeah. trying to hide like physically trying to hide while yeah. being in front of people and being the only person on stage you ever see pictures back from friends and they show you hey you're looking pretty good and you're like i'm trying to turn into a neutron star going nova like what am i doing yeah it looks like if my eyes are closed enough uh-huh. that somewhere subconsciously i think like you won't be able to see me <laughs> ostriching man i've done a fair bit of that i also do like the the uh 
the Quasimodo thing, the shoulders go up, mm-hmm. and then you start to realize, like, oh my gosh, I look like I'm trying to do an impression of a cobra. There know? is no invisibility that comes, no matter how far it really does. And besides, you signed up for this. <laughs> <laughs> you asked people to do that. You said, hey, I'd like to play. You know, this is not some state-run thing that you have to do it to fulfill some sort of requirement for health insurance. But... Yes, you did that. And then you got up there, and you still got mad at all your friends who didn't show up. <laughs> I know. Oh, have you ever been on stage, and then you felt the the staccato vibrations over and over again in your pocket of a people texting you saying that sorry they can't make it (laughs) (laughs) uh it's why it's why i've been very good about turning off my phone whenever i get near a stage Mm -hmm. it's not out of respect for anyone else it is purely to to maintain (laughs) maintain focus and not do not give me any of your are you still playing really (laughs) i am right are you looking for an answer to that question (laughs) (laughs) are you just saying that the four or five is really busy yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, so let's back up a little bit. Before you came out to Los Angeles, you were in uh, New York? I was in New York. Mm-hmm. I was in New York for just shy of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And another accident. Yeah. I decided I wanted to be there, not to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually spent a long time working full-time as a computer nerd. Really? Yeah. Really? Doing what? I was a, a Unix systems administrator. Oh, my. Oh, um, that's, that's started deep. as a part-time job uh, while still at Rutgers mm-hmm. and became the thing that I used to, after failing to get temp work, after aiming for temp yeah. and missing that mark, <laughs> I decided for the less exciting, uh-huh. way better paying mm-hmm. life. <laughs> In the obscurities of the IT departments of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. High to the dot-com bubble. People uh-huh. were billing like $275 an hour for doing the kind of work I was doing. Okay. I wasn't myself, mm-hmm. but... Um, but, but the allure of the financial security, at least for a brief period of time, an ellipsis in your life. You're going, I'll just do this for a little bit. Is that what the vibe? I guess I was happy being adjacent to it. But mm-hmm. as soon, I mean, my the job I worked the longest was at the Museum of Natural History oh, wow. in New York. Wow. Which was awesome mm-hmm. for most of it until I quit. Yeah. Um, and it was just a really, really cool environment to, mm-hmm. you know, to walk past like the you know, artificially assembled dinosaur skeletons on uh-huh. the way to my office every day. And... Yeah, woolly mammoth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, it w- and I was at that job, I think, for, well, seven years total, but I think I was at that job for a, a solid year before it even occurred to me that years had passed without me performing at all. Years. And I didn't, and I didn't notice it. Uh-huh. Like, it just, like, happened and... Mm-hmm. And that that could have been. That it could, could have been, been longer than you thought. Yeah, yeah. It's insidious the way that that works. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of you know, I know the entropy and the and the centrifugal force of time. You know the difference between. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I, I was born in 1981, and between 1969 and 1981 is a greater distance of time between the twin towers now, and mm-hmm. my my concept of time. You know, obviously, you know. A year is a fifth of your life when you're five years old. But, uh, you know, just I, I've done the same thing where I've gone like, you know, I feel like I should play a show. Let me look up. And you look up on your website and you're like, oh, my gosh, 2011. Mm-hmm. And I'm having that moment right now going like, I should probably put out a record. I mean, it's just been a little bit. It's been three years, four years. And I don't know. I I, I know you sympathize with the same thing. But uh, yeah, that that kind of 
living inside your head and you kind of finally take a breath and poke up and you put the periscope up and see what's going on. You're mm-hmm. like, oh no, everyone's gone. I'm the last guy at the party of me. Yeah. Right. Several species have gone extinct. They and... really have. I mean, those rhinoceros, they were on the bubble all the time, so yeah. they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> Jerks. Jerk. I never liked any of them. Yeah, really. I mean, come on. What do they bring to the party other than the potential for hazard? Mm. And I've already got that covered. Exactly. Nailed <laughs> Six ways from Sunday. So when you start, what did you start doing to, to remedy this not playing shows thing? What, what got you out of it? Oh, I aimed straight for the top. Yeah. I, uh, I started playing jazz in Borders bookstores. Um, oh, I know. Really? Um, <laughs> and, uh, how'd you get into that? I have no idea. Well, a friend of mine from college had moved to New York. Uh-huh. Um, a drummer named Jeff Lipstein, who's, uh, still there in Brooklyn and uh, he was I'm losing words he he was he was wheeling and dealing he was getting the gigs yeah receiving. he was finding finding you know playing and and money making opportunities and mm-hmm. asked if I wanted to play along yeah and uh, I was like yeah and I started playing in like a lounge band which was uh, a little more interesting mm-hmm. than the um, you know, mall job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also with Jeff and, uh, uh, I was in a band called driver quartet, mm-hmm. um, backing up a guy named David driver, still singing in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really fun. Uh, somewhere along the line, I got asked to audition for the singer named Leona Ness. Mm-hmm. And that turned into a tour, and I quit the job because I ran out of vacation days Okay, while touring. And you had that moment, that kind of like, you know, two roads diverged in yellow wood, mm-hmm. you know, pick one. And I had that, probably that same week, been approved uh, for a mortgage. I'd, I'd started looking at... Really? Property. So it's serious. This is... Yeah. That was You weren't just... It wasn't a casual dalliance. This was actually... Yeah, it was a thing. I mean, I had been, you know, in a salaried job in a lucrative line of work for seven years. In New York? Yeah. You were looking for a mortgage in New York, which is, you know... Well, I was looking upstate. Okay. Um, even even then, mm. it was still ridiculous to... Yeah. To... And continues to be, yeah. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. So, wow. You... What was the motivation? I, I kind of want to get to that. Like, well, like looking for a mortgage and actually like being becoming entrenched within like not not just sort of like you know I'm going to work this job for a little bit, but now like t- lashing yourself to. It was such an easy choice. Then, it was it was such an easy choice. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm either going to you know keep getting small raises every year mm-hmm. and doing this stuff, yeah. or. I'm going to be really happy and most likely poor mm-hmm. for a long time. <laughs> and it was not a hard call. No? Just just wasn't. Yeah. I just gave my notice and that was that. How did the, re- the relief feel when you got out of that, when you, when you gave your notice? How did that day feel like? Really exciting. Yeah. I mean, it felt like getting back on the right track. Yeah. yeah. After a 10-year ten, ten break. Yeah. <laughs> I was working at a very... High-end steakhouse in Burbank, in the uh, in the Warner Building, actually. Very high-end. Very high-end. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I wore a bow tie to work every single day because nothing makes you feel subjugated and marginalized like a bow tie as a grown-ass man. Um, especially a clip-on. Yeah, a bow, yeah, especially a clip-on bow tie without a jacket. 
you know, because you, you literally just look ridiculous. So mm-hmm. I, I remember I had this one crisis of consciousness that I, I walked in one day and I just looked at everything. I said, I think I'm going to quit today. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to give my two weeks notice. Why am I not going to give my two weeks notice? So that I can never come back. <laughs> and I did. I really want to burn this bridge. I really, I really do. I want to burn, like, yeah, to the ground. So I, I, I was on fire. I was elated. I was, uh, I had nothing in savings and it was um, fiscally completely irresponsible. But I, I remember feeling almost like having a thorn removed from uh, my torso and mm-hmm. immediately healing at the same time. That's that was the feeling of that. How long was that tour that you left uh, your job for? Um, I think it was about seven months. Oh wow! Uh, for the bulk of it, and yeah. then like you know, into like one off world mm-hmm. after no. that. So it was it was a what I now have come to know as a, sh- a short album cycle. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun, really trying, very educational. Yeah. Um. And it was a small little outfit. Um, the band was me and a drummer and the singer. And I was okay. playing piano, okay. electric piano, and a tour manager. And we went from like really small headlining shows to, you know, opening, I mean, to playing to rooms of like, you know, 150 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, the not yet expanded Hotel Cafe mm-hmm. um, to warming up for Cannon Crows and John Mayer and Sheds and things like that. So yeah. it was the full full range of the experiences gamut. for me in my first year of being a real mm-hmm. touring guy. Um, were you guys banning it or were you... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. We yeah. sure were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You were doing... You've kind of run the gamut of that as well, um, The from bus to rental to everything. In the, in yeah. the same week, yeah. In the same week, yeah. Yeah, when I first started playing with Sarah Bareilles, mm-hmm. um, I was her, her schedule was not uh, too dense at the time. Mm-hmm. I think I started working with her in May of 2010, mm-hmm. and her record wouldn't come out until I'm doing one of the things I hate, by the way. Mm-hmm. I hate present tense <laughs> verbs in history. Um, <laughs> wasn't going to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> until September or so. And then during that time, I was still playing with other bands mm-hmm. that I had been playing with, like Leslie and the Badgers and this guy, Farabee Lionheart. Yeah, I know Farabee. I did play with Farabee. Two of my favorite, favorite people. And I just, Leslie was a part of the lineup the other night at the Milk oh, cool. Kids show. Yeah. Yeah, I did a play with Farabee about uh, six years ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, one, one, some a friend of a friend of mine and a, and a friend of his they she wrote a play and we did it at this place called maskers cabaret awesome. it, was, it was it was weird it was, but uh yeah it's what i meant fair be lionheart which i always thought when i first heard his name was like that's that's the hero from a 1920s silent film it's fair to be mm-hmm. that's that's and he's kind of acts like that too so yeah and it's not an act no no it's him there's yeah. there's no better name no <laughs> <laughs> really he is the real thing he really is so i want to know when you uh what made you switch from new york to la ah uh i think that came right on the heels of, of deciding to be a musician and realizing that was wholly impractical in new york city yeah for me i came home from that leona ness tour hmm. with what i thought was a comfortable amount of savings and was looking for music work and i would i got a couple of things i got um 
started playing with this band called Golden Smog, mm-hmm. which is uh, how to describe. Well, it's a side project, I guess, and it involves members of the Jayhawks and and Tweety from Wilco okay. and Danny Murphy from Soul Asylum mm-hmm. and and you know all musical idols of mine and mm-hmm. uh, and then and then me <laughs> freshman mm-hmm. hanging out with the big kids um, and. Anyway, that was a was super fun but short lived. I think I think I I think I toured with them for maybe a total of two weeks. Oh wow! There was like one week here and then like another five days somewhere else and mm-hmm. uh, in a different part of the year. Um, and then everybody was pulled back to their respective mainline money making thing. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it's like a between things thing for them. Yeah. I think I think they're due for another record in another five years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, but aside from that, really not much of note. And I flew through my savings real fast mm-hmm. and then started sending out resumes for computer work again right. and got a job offer and went for the interview and the dot-com bubble had burst and mm-hmm. they were saying things to me in the interview like, you know, we can't meet your last salary. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I really didn't. I, my heart wasn't in it at all. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, I really, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. $15,000 a year less. That's fine. Yeah. And uh, said yes to the job and had one of the worst nights of my life, like feeling like I was falling down a bottomless pit towards hell. And oh. I, at 8.15 the next morning, was like, is it too early to call? And I think I waited until 8.45 and called the office and said, I'm so sorry. I can't actually take the job. Wow. And And gave notice with my landlord and decided I was leaving New York City. Wow. Wow. A couple of t- different defining moments. It's, it, mm-hmm. I, it's rare to find somebody. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> we'll add that. Yeah, we'll add that. We don't need that. I'm not. A, I'm not a human. I'm just an entertainment bot. Um, <laughs> we. Uh, it's rare to find somebody that has that sort of a visceral reaction to not wanting to do something. It's. I mean, I, I've known people to ebb and flow like that. I think people just ignore it. No, I, I think you're. But that's what I mean. It's weird to have someone that is so connected with it. Um, I, I it's many times you hear people at least in, in even in my own personal life just that that up and down and only in in uh, in being circumspect and looking back mm-hmm. um and, and going oh oh wait a minute that was what was going on then like but to be so much in the moment to kind of go like oh wait no I can't I can't you know it's I physically can't was did you feel that uh, another sense of relief again when they said oh mm-hmm. okay yeah there it is Hey, you could kind of ride that out, that ebb and flow, man. Just put yourself and other people through a little bit of torture, just up and down, that that push and pull. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that all, that all my fun. proudest moments are like quitting moments. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I could sympathize with that. I'm gonna rewrite Slacker. <laughs> the day I decided to drop out of college, another one of my proudest, mm-hmm. proudest moments. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can leave this? Yeah, you don't have to This do- thing that I hate? I think we, we have a lot in common, my friend. I, I, I did the same thing, too. Only mine kind of, I, I sort of um, cut off every single uh, option for that. You know, I'm like, well, if you're going to continue doing this, you're in for a mountain of work you don't want to do. And uh, by the way, that last semester was bullshit. You have to do it again. And I said, well... I think I have my answer. I didn't actually. I didn't actually say like no. And now I won't do this because I'm gonna do that. You know, I'd, I'd like to think of myself a little bit more. You know, 
broad-shouldered and and with the ability to actually make a clear delineated decision but of course it didn't it just sort of you know let it let the option die on the vine right or that that was your instincts driving you that's true and 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 you're you're finding justifications after the fact but it was still still your your better self that was guiding you that's true i'm reading this book called uh incognito about the uh um basically player (laughs) but <laughs> uh, no, a little, little different, little different. Uh, it's, it's about brain chemistry and just basically how most of your autonomic systems are making a lot of these decisions for you, and mm-hmm. what you view to be your higher brain, your conscious brain, what Freud would call the uh, the the you know superego, is a, a tiny, small portion of of any decision that you make, and that uh, yeah, it's it's a, a very strange, strange book. But like the idea that so yeah. that really you're reacting <clears throat> to like yeah, well, if, if you know. Yeah, that that Eph- uh, ephemera. Yeah, and there was a the, there's one study that they did where they showed men pictures of ten or fifteen different women with their a uh, couple of them that were identical, and uh, they had to pick which one was the most attractive. Um, and the only difference was the was dilation in their eyes. And uh, in an autonomic function for human sexuality, uh, humans dial their eyes dilate when they're uh, aroused. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way that they would be able to go like, oh, well, I see that her, uh, her pupils are dilated a little bit more, and it seems as though she's up for more game. So in my autonomic function, it seems as though that, that she is ready for sexual intercourse. Now, that's it. That was basically the they couldn't figure out what it was, but like in the what they call the zombie autonomic uh, of your mind, you just sort of you know attach yourself to that through years and years and years of uh, of yeah it's it's strange mm-hmm. so i like all the decisions that we make the decision that you said to yourself like i cannot i will not i'm so terribly sorry thank you for the interview the coffee was delicious i won't i'm not i'm not gonna be a part of this what that was for your spirit along with the same time you saying like you want to perform but then you you are terrified of it as well mm-hmm. yeah um that's an interesting thing because i share that with you the 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 like i i want to I want to just play every night and I want to get incredibly good and I just want to become this hardened piece of wood, this sculpture of, uh, I don't know, just uh, professionality, uh, to live within yourself, to have that skill set that it's almost just second skin. And then when you get up there, you're going like, I'm an event planner for my own wedding night after night (laughs) and no one's coming and they said they would. And you know what? I went to their show and they were terrible and the sound was worse. And then, (laughs) so that's one town for them in the friend bank. And then you're just going to go like, like, why am I worried so much that people are going to be here? I'm just an event coordinator, like just in your own mind. Right. Like personally. But then, and then there's that three or four week period and you're going, I think I should play a show again. Mm -hmm. And it just occurs over and over again. I I don't know. Do you have any thought about why you do that, or or um, or what you've tried to do to change that attitude towards shows? No. <laughs> I mean, the thoughts that I'm having uh, seem to be more along the lines of the the accidents that have have kept me mm-hmm. on the path that I've enjoyed. Yeah. Um, That's a good place to be. And and there isn't really a plan. And I and I feel like I'm starting to run out of. Let's just say I I don't have that many more tenure spans of time with mm-hmm. which to stray off of the path, mm-hmm. you know. Um, kind I kind of need to to get with the program at this point. Yeah, whatever that program is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, not long ago, I mean, on the order of weeks, I thought I want to be performing more, and mm-hmm. I just 
pushed myself into more bookings and I have a couple of solo things coming up. And, yeah. When are those coming up? Um, uh, the 20th, uh-huh. doing a solo set at Room 5. Okay. Uh, 20th of November, is that a Wednesday? I don't know. I, I but we'll it's, a it. it's a day. It's the a day. It's the nineteenth, the night right before that. Uh, I'm I'm singing. It was a part of a Neil Young tribute at Satellite. Oh, cool. Leslie will also be a part of that. Um, Chris Stills, mm-hmm. uh, some other awesome people. It should be really fun. That sounds like a fun show. Uh, I sure would never have signed up to be like fronting a Neil Young tribute. No. Years, you know, when I when I got here. Mm-hmm. Um. And. Uh, this is another solo show coming up, but I, you know, I've got, I've got a, a record that I've been trying to make for years. Mm-hmm. And by trying, I mean talking about, yeah, just um, fixing to come in, to begin to commence to start that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's legitimately difficult working, you know, a, as a sideman mm-hmm. and, and, and booking myself for two weeks of solid work on something that yeah. is not going to make me any money. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, they say the cobbler's children go without shoes. That's uh or so I've been told. Right. Uh, I'm trying to extend that metaphor hmm. to me. So that means I don't get any sidemen in my band? <laughs> <laughs> no, just basically meaning that the, uh, yeah, that that when it's it comes down to your personal fulfillment and when the motivation behind it is 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 three steps along. It's like being a professional songwriter without uh, a publishing company screaming mm-hmm. at you for songs. Just going to go and think, well, you know, here, work really hard for potential, you know, for, right. for, for like, you know, happenstance and serendipity, you know, it's, it's difficult to find the motivation behind that, especially when you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to find it and put it in your calendar mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks out or as soon as I get home from this, you know, mission in Nashville or whatever, yeah. I am going to do nothing but record. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been, I mean, procrastinating is not the right word i think i've just been getting sidetracked by other work legitimately mm. for enough time now it's been four years since my last record wow yeah. and that there's a great big pile of songs mm-hmm. which is good i i i definitely don't want to be in the position of going into you know a studio environment and mm. and narcissistically like wow we need to write one more song to finish <laughs> out the you know cause that, what, two weeks later you might realize it's terrible yeah it's exactly. terrible music you and... really have to like like a young child in the 1850s you have to see within the first three years if it's gonna live before you <laughs> <laughs> before you <laughs> give it a real name a <laughs> yeah. oh wow interesting so don't title the songs yeah don't just just don't just yeah and and don't don't get assign them too much you know put them up on youtube you know YouTube's the great dumping ground for all all manner of things. Oof. Yeah. It's our way of fighting back. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, non-paying entity. Mm-hmm. Here's crap. <laughs> Here you go. This is this is taking up your bandwidth. <laughs> and then we get hurt. Uh-huh. Meow. NSA. <laughs> well, interesting. So so you are you have you mapped out any time to do it are yeah you just, are you, you're yeah we're it? in it we're in it in right. fact tomorrow is 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 going to be my tomorrow's a day mm-hmm. i'm in i'm do committed you, do you want to do a kind of thing where you say on the air that you're going to have it finished by a certain date so that we can lock you in and, and you know peer pressure no no okay see um i would i am hoping to be finished with the majority of the tracking in mm-hmm. this calendar year okay um i definitely I think it's important to do that work and I think it's important to meet that deadline. And I think it's also important to sit with it and listen back after a period of time goes by. Absolutely. Um, 
because at least for the first part of this, I am producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will certainly be needing help to shepherd it through the rest of the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, th- your opinion of, of a song that you've written will change drastically after it's finished. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's important to let those shake out and to 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 drop some things mm-hmm. and to record more than, than I'm going to need. Yeah. I've always wanted to do that, and I've always rec- had just enough, you know, just mm-hmm. under the uh, the Indiana Jones grabbing his fedora underneath the uh, closing door. Uh huh. Always just barely slid in. Yeah, I've never had a problem with doing fewer things, like mm-hmm. you know, being told right as I was going on stage, like actually you can only do four songs. I'm like, great, great, truncate them. You <laughs> My know? set just got stronger. <laughs> <laughs> no filler, <laughs> all meat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, you know, if a record turns out to be like three really strong songs, mm-hmm. well, then, you know. Well, then so be it. Then we'll do, but then it's we'll hard do a as... seven inch and, 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 and a download for the third. That's there you fine. are. And it is hard as a diamond and it's completely above reproach for the most part, unless you count, you know, Pitchfork, which would pick apart anything. I think mm-hmm. Pitchfork would say that the Bible kind of has lulls and parts and it's just okay, you know, which, you know, maybe not be true. There's I mean, ma- it's long. So. It's long, yeah. <laughs> And we got the Apocrypha with Maccabees and all that other stuff. Who knows what's going on there? It's just a lot of numbers. It looks like somebody. You know, yeah. Well, dude, I really appreciate you coming in. And Man, thanks so much for, for inviting me to be a part of this. Absolutely. And we're going to put on the end of this, keep listening, uh, all the dates and places you can actually go see Phil with All Spots to Black, his band. All right. Yay. Thanks Yay. for that, too. <laughs> Well, how about that? I've really enjoyed that conversation with Phil. I've had a good rapport with him. He was such a great person to talk to. And he stayed afterwards and played us a bunch of music and just kind of nerded out together. He's a good egg. And I think that we're going to hang around each other more. I hope I don't screw it up with my neurosis. Okay, it's going to be fine, Jake. It's going to be fine. We're going to go out and we're going to drink a bunch of water and we're going to try to mitigate... A lot of this caffeine high that you're going through. You're in the spins tonight now, bro. I'm going to talk you down. Higher brain Jake is going to talk physiological Jake down from this enormous amount of caffeine. It's just going to involve a lot of water. I think that's what's going to happen. Okay. Go to sharkbrainpodcast.com where you can find all the episodes, any merch for Jake Newton, all the tour dates... Everything that you need to know about Shark Brain, please continue to email, send texts, Twitter messages, various other things to show your support. It fuels me, it pushes me, it spurns me on. I've got a black hole of need, of love and affection and anxiety, and it, it, I'm so calmed and soothed by all your positive words. Do not hold back. I appreciate it. We have a lot of guests coming up. I'm very excited. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I want to save a little of the suspense. Right now I have to go because I'm going to go have dinner with friends and meet their six-week-old child. The little baby. Holy God. I'm never drinking caffeine again. Don't make promises you can't keep, Jake. Don't do it. Love your friends and be well.